ripe fruit require large amounts of water from your plants. So to reduce heat and water stress on your heavily producing plants, harvest your ripe fruit pretty frequently and very thoroughly, including any damaged fruits. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. How are you? How is your garden? Has your area been hit with extreme heat yet this season? Here in West Central Missouri, we are having our first extreme heat event. It was a 104 degree Fahrenheit heat index today with a humidity at almost 60%. For those of you outside the U.S., that's a feels-like temperature of 40 Celsius, In other words, it's friggin' hot. (laughs) Now, I honestly don't mind the heat and humidity, but I'm just one of those people who thrives in the heat, and I'm absolutely acclimated to it. But I know that that type of heat is absolutely unbearable to most people, and it can be downright dangerous. Now, we covered ways to help you continue to work in your garden during the heat of the summer in episode 41, which I will link to in the show notes. But what about your garden? Many of you have already been facing extreme heat this year, and I've gotten messages with images of afternoon wilt in the garden that can be absolutely terrifying if you've not experienced it before. So let's talk about what to do to help care for your garden when you experience extreme summer heat conditions. Now, I need to acknowledge that some of the things I'm going to talk about needed to happen earlier in the season. So if you're listening in real time, it may be too late to implement some of these ideas. But either way, it's good information to have for next season. I also want to talk about what specific temperatures are considered extreme to a vegetative plant, like those annuals in our summer vegetable garden. The temperature extremes that perennial plants can handle, like fruiting canes or trees, or those plants that we regrow from underground uh, parts, like rhizomes, are much higher than what annual vegetative plants can tolerate. Generally speaking, perennial plants can be hit with very high temperatures and still live to tell the tale next season. Annuals, however, begin to have real difficulty at anything over 90 degrees Fahrenheit or 32 Celsius. And there are a few very important reasons for this, which, if we can get an understanding of them, will help us to combat those issues in the heat. So first, we need to understand that water evaporates into the atmosphere much more quickly in high heat, and that drains a plant's water reserves. This is especially true in very dry heat, which is not something we have here in the Midwest for sure, but it's very common in places like Arizona. But no matter where you are, this evaporation is what's responsible for the extreme afternoon wilt you see in vegetative plants when it's super hot. And this can happen no matter how much moisture is actually still in the soil. It looks 
devastating. Like your plants have literally keeled over and are done for. But this wilting lowers the surface area that's exposed to the sun and limits transpiration and sunburn. So come morning, the plants should have all bounced back to their usual selves after having had a chance to take a drink overnight. It's when there isn't enough moisture for them to take in, either from the soil or from the air in the form of a morning dew, that the plants don't bounce back. And that's when we start to get into trouble. So now the second thing to understand is that plants stop respirating in order to prevent water loss during extreme heat. Some plants will actually close their leaf pores, those stomata, to keep water from evaporating. But there's a problem with this. Those pores have to be open to take in carbon dioxide, which is one of the critical components of photosynthesis. So plants with a limited carbon dioxide level grow much more slowly, and they may suffer from a weakened immune system, which, of course, makes them more susceptible to pests. And then thirdly, some plants will forfeit their reproductive goals in order to save their available energy to manage their own cooling systems. So what this means is that blossoms, especially young blooms, will simply drop off the plant in a heat wave. And of course, fewer flowers means fewer fruits. So extreme hot weather may mean a lull in your harvest. So now that we have an understanding of how a plant reacts to extreme heat and why, we can use this information to make informed decisions about how to help our plants in the garden. So here are seven tactics that you can use in the garden to help beat the heat and save your plants during extreme heat events, plus a few things you should not be doing. To combat the extreme heat in your garden, start by planting the right kind of plants for your environment. I mean, I said a few of these would need to be done ahead of time, and this is one of those. But understanding whether or not you have a dry heat or a humid one can help you choose the appropriate plants and varieties of those plants for your usual summer conditions. Now, this may not help when you have an unusual weather year like many have had this season, but for the most part, this will help your garden survive the worst of the summer weather in your area. If you know your area gets super hot and dry in the summer, then choose drought-tolerant plants and varieties. If you live in a climate with hot but humid conditions, plants with tropical origins may do better. The good thing about plant breeding these days is that there are plenty of varieties of common summer veggies that have been bred to withstand specific garden conditions. Lima beans, pole beans, cowpeas, quinoa, mustard greens, okra, uh, specific varieties of zucchini and other summer squashes, and certain varieties of tomatoes have all been shown to tolerate drought conditions. The plants that are the most drought tolerant are those that can develop a deep root system early on, and that allows them to draw moisture from much deeper in the soil than the less heat tolerant plants. And some of these cross over into liking hot and humid weather really just as equally, like okra and cowpeas and tomatoes specifically. But other more tropical picks might be jicama or certain melons and sweet potatoes. Do a little digging on your own and get some info from your local extension office as to what types of summer veggies and what varieties thrive in your summer climate. 
Now, the second thing is to build good soil organic matter. This is another one that needs to be done before the season, but honestly should be done for a wide variety of reasons. Nonetheless, a good, healthy soil with lots of organic matter will have a much higher water holding capacity than one that's void. The more a soil space can attract and hold water, the less likely it is that your plants will suffer. Plus, a healthy soil generally equals a healthy plant, and a healthy plant is much better able to self-regulate than one that is struggling. So number three, mulch. Mulch, 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 mulch. You knew that was coming, right? (laughs) I can't overstate the drastic difference covering the soil with mulch will make. Not only does it help keep the soil water from evaporating, it also helps keep the weeds at bay that will steal some of that soil water for themselves and thereby depriving your plant. If you didn't mulch early on, it's not too late to go ahead and add it. You'll be amazed at the difference. And if you did mulch early on, don't be afraid to add some if it seems like it needs a little bit of a refresh. Some mulches do decompose faster than others, and it may need a boost once or twice during a tough season. Now, you don't, you don't want less than two inches of mulch at any given time. Three inches is ideal. But in this instance, more is not better. Anything more than four inches of mulch, and you will run the risk of the water not getting to the root zone of the plant where it's needed. And speaking of water, that is number five, water. Now, I know this sounds obvious, but how and when you water is a bit more important during a heat wave. Watering very deeply, like to a depth of about six inches and less frequently, is your goal here. Ideally, you want to water first thing in the morning while temperatures are still low and the plant's transpiration rates are also still low. The plants are much better able to draw up as much water as possible during this time to fully fill those cells and be better prepared for the heat. They're also more likely to be able to self-regulate if they've taken up as much water as possible before needing to close off those stomata to avoid excess evaporation. The next best time for watering is in the early evening. The heat will begin to be a little less intense at this hour, and the plant will be able to start taking up water again at this time. The late watering will also allow the plant to pull moisture from the soil early in the morning to prepare for the day ahead. Now, plants in hanging baskets and containers are going to need to be watered more frequently than those in the ground. Be sure to check them often. Stick your finger in the soil to see when it needs water. They will probably need to be watered more than once a day during an extreme heat wave. If they're small, pick them up. If they're light, well, then you need some water. If you can, move them to a spot where they can get shade during the hottest part of the day. This is not the time to worry about whether a plant is getting the proper number of hours of daylight. In extreme heat, the plant isn't concentrating on growing, it's concentrating on surviving. So moving it to the shade during the afternoon hours is actually keeping the plant healthier, even with fewer hours of sunlight. Now, generally speaking, established fruit trees, fruiting canes, and other perennial plants like strawberries or rhubarb will probably still need a deep watering two or three times a week, sometimes even more during extreme heat waves. And if they're first year plants, you may need to water them every single day. The best way to water is with soaker hoses or drip irrigation. 
This works best because there's less water runoff, the water gets right to the plant roots, and there's less chance of evaporation. Now, if you can't use soaker hoses, try to hand water at the soil level during this time rather than using overhead sprinklers. You're really going to lose a lot more water to evaporation if you're watering overhead, and it's difficult to really get a deep soak in extreme heat. You can also try using Oyas. Oyas are unglazed terracotta containers that get buried deep into the ground up to their necks, and they've got these kind of slender bottle-like necks. They're good for deep watering in hot and dry climates. So you pour the water into the neck of the Oya, and then it leaches out to the plant roots as needed. They can seem kind of expensive, especially if you have a really big garden, but you can make Oyas out of five-gallon buckets with lids on them or any other smaller recycled containers for smaller spaces. Just poke really small holes in the bottom and the sides of the container and bury it and fill it with water and then cover it with a lid. Now, you may have to play with the size of the holes a little bit, depending on the texture of your soil, but the goal is to have the water slowly leach out, not pour out in the first 30 minutes. And if you have watering restrictions in your area, but you're still allowed to hand water, Oyas are a great option. Now, you'll just need to fill the Oyas a couple times a week during the hottest, driest part of any heat event, so check them frequently, but they are a good option. So number five try giving your plants some shade. I touched on this a little bit earlier uh, with regards to containers, and this may be easier if you're a container gardener and you have pots or planters that are able to be moved around. So if this is the case, then just take a look around your gardening space and observe what areas get sun in the earliest part of the day, but that are shaded in the afternoon. That's your best bet, and it's especially important if you have plants in black plastic pots. They are much more susceptible to having their roots literally fried in those containers. Now, if this isn't an option for you, or if you're gardening in the ground, think about some shade cloth for the most susceptible plants in your garden. You can either buy agricultural shade cloth or simply rig up a tarp or an umbrella. You can even use old sheets or shears or lattice work on some sort of a frame to shade the areas that are being hardest hit in your garden. It can be a full 10 to 15 degrees Fahrenheit cooler in the shade. And okay, actually, science geek fat here. Do you know why the heat index or the real field temperature is taken in the shade and not the full sun? It's because the shade doesn't actually make temperatures cooler. Being in the direct sunlight and the solar radiation that comes with it makes the air feel 10 to 15 degrees warmer than it actually is. So the real temperature is actually the one we experience in the shade. Mind blown, right? In any case, give your plants a break from that solar radiation and give them a chance to cool off one way or another. Number six is to harvest frequently, and this is especially fruits and melons that love water like peppers and tomatoes. Ripe fruit require large amounts of water from your plants. So to reduce heat and water stress on your heavily producing plants, harvest your ripe fruit pretty frequently and very thoroughly, including any damaged fruits. And consider harvesting slightly early. At this time of the year, it's less important to leave a tomato on the vine until it's fully red than it is to lessen the burden on the plant. 
So pick tomatoes as early as when they're just beginning to blush and then let them ripen in a warm space indoors out of the direct sunlight. The quality of the tomato will be just as good and the plant won't have to work as hard to produce that next fruit for you to pick. And finally, number seven, keep your plants well weeded. Wild plants, especially invasive weeds, have really strong root systems that allow them to outcompete our domesticated varieties in the garden. That's why weeds seem to thrive under such extreme circumstances when our garden plants seem just to be dismal. They can and will steal the water and the nutrients from your plants. And this is the time when those things are needed the most. So reduce that competition by pulling weeds as soon as you can when they pop up. So we've talked a bit about things that we can do to help your plants. But there are a few things that you really shouldn't be doing if you live in an area with extreme heat during the season. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As U.S. Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, now let's just say we should probably drink more water. The coffee we drink these days still has a military tie. We have freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business, just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans and active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments. Cancel any time. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. So I know I said to keep your garden well weeded, but this comes with a caveat. If you've fallen behind in your weeding, which no shame here, there are several areas in my gardens right now that are beyond bad with the weeds, but now is not the time to play catch up. First of all, the dry soil will likely mean you'll disturb the roots of the plants that you want to keep in the garden when pulling large amounts of weeds from the ground, and we don't want that right now. Second, the plants that you want in the garden are likely being shaded a little bit and probably supported physically by the largest weeds you've got if they've gotten out of control. Removing them now will make the garden plant much more susceptible to sunburn and to wilt. So for now, leave the weeds where they are and just pay extra attention to watering. As the heat begins to subside a little bit, then slowly begin removing weeds from the areas closest to the base of each plant in a circular pattern, and then increasing the circle further away from the plant over a period of several days to a week. This will give the plant time to acclimate a little bit to having to support itself physically while also being slowly exposed to more light, pulling the weeds all at once, especially during a heat wave, can be a death sentence to your garden plants. Now, the second thing you don't want to do in a heat wave is prune. This is another great way to stress a plant that's just trying to hang on and get through some extreme weather. Wait to do any pruning until the heat has passed a bit. You also don't want to fertilize at this time either. The adage is that you should never feed a thirsty plant. 
adding a heavy flush of nutrients can actually cause shock to your plant if it's dehydrated. And even with consistent watering, it may be too much to handle in extreme heat. So wait until the heat wave breaks, then make sure your plant is fully hydrated before adding any fertilizer. Two more things that you shouldn't do actually require some forethought in the garden and the garden design. If you know you have very hot summers, avoid using anything in the garden pathways that will retain heat. Now this includes brick, stones, concrete, especially blacktop. Some of these pathways may look really nice and they may keep the weeds from creeping into your garden area, but they also absorb extra heat and then reflect it and continue to release it well after the sun has set. So you're essentially creating an urban heat island effect in your garden, which is the exact opposite of what we want to do. So instead of these, use grass or ground covering plants, wood mulch or bark, or even thick layers of straw or hay as your walkways in your garden. And then finally, if you know that you are prone to extreme heat for extended periods of time in your area, you may want to avoid using very high raised beds and trellises. Now, raised beds are great for controlling the soil quality and raising them up can be a back saver when working in the garden. But this comes with a downside. Raised beds warm up more quickly and they dry out more quickly. The deeper the bed is, the higher out of the ground you're working and the more likely the soil it is to heat up. And so if you can build your raised beds in contact with the native soil and then layer it on top, that will help. So in other words, don't put a bottom on the bottom of your raised bed. Just build the frame and then fill in on top of the native soil. But in areas with long-term extreme heat, the closer to the ground, the better. So you may need to make your raised beds a little bit shallower. And you certainly would want to avoid raised beds that are raised up on platforms or up on legs. Now, in the same manner, trellising plants in areas that see long bouts of heat can cause those plants to suffer more than necessary. Trellised plants lose moisture much more quickly than those growing on the ground. Of course, I always recommend trellising plants to help keep them disease-free and for higher quality fruit, specifically for things like cucumbers, for example. But if you're in an area where you battle high temperatures for extended periods in the summer pretty consistently, you may just have better success letting these plants sprawl on the ground instead. So that's it for some do's and don'ts of caring for your garden in the extreme heat. If you've got some tips to share, I'm sure your fellow gardeners in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group would love to hear about it. I know I would. The link to join that group is in the show notes. And we're coming up pretty quickly on our next Can You Dig It episode. So if you have any gardening questions, please make sure to send those in to me. You can email them to me at grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. You can use the link in the show notes to send me a voice message. You can use the contact page over on the website. You can instant message me over on Instagram, or you can join the Facebook group and go ahead and ask the question there. I will share those questions on that next episode. 
I will also leave a link in the show notes to our Patreon page where you can get exclusive access to additional content every month and support this podcast at the same time. There's a new level over there that basically says, thank you, Karen, and here's a cup of coffee in case you want to check that out. Either way, I sure appreciate you listening today, and I'll see you back here on Friday for another Focal Point Friday episode. In the meantime, stay cool and have a wonderful week in the garden. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon. I'd like to thank my patrons over on Patreon for supporting this and every episode of this podcast. Patrons of this show get access to exclusive content on the Patreon page, bonus hotshot episodes, monthly live Q&A sessions with me, Just Grow Something merchandise, and more. But above all, they get my undying gratitude for helping make this podcast possible and helping me reach for bigger goals like stipends for guests, improved software and equipment, bonus content, and more. If you'd like to support the show by becoming a patron and also receive my undying gratitude, head over to patreon.com slash just grow something or use the link in the show notes.